the, the one thing that you have to be very aware of is that thing that I told you, if, if you're going off birth control pills, because somebody told you you had a low follicle count, use condoms or get an IUD. <laughs> right? I, I, I'm very loath to take somebody off of birth control pills because you've got a very effective form of contraception. Mm-hmm. And like I said, low follicle count, you are still a healthy, fertile young woman. Welcome to another episode of Finding Mr. Hyde, the podcast. I'm Allie, back with my co-host, Erica, and you are no longer in my apartment. No more. I am at the cellar for my week of shows in Las Vegas, so yeah. very excited. I got so used I'm to back. doing our, our apps with you sitting here. I know. It's, it is. Uh, not that this isn't fun, but it's more fun for me to record in person. It's way, yeah, it's way more fun. It's way more fun to record in person. Yeah. No tech difficulties either, so it's nice. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so you made it to Vegas, you flew out, left early this morning. I was dead to the world. Didn't even hear you leave. Okay, good. I was worried people heard my alarm because I, thank God I sent, I set two alarms. I did not hear my first one. Oh no. And then I was like, that thing was going off for 20 minutes. So shout out to Rachel. If you heard that, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I did my best. I did my best. I heard nothing. I didn't even, I didn't even wake up when Rachel woke up and she was like, apparently like moving all around the apartment so yeah but we had a fu- we had a very busy weekend fun-filled weekend great reunion with everybody it was so nice to see everyone it was it, crazy it really that we were was. just all sitting in the room i was like this is wild it's nuts like i i said this on instagram so this will be a repetition but like i did not think that 2023 was going to include meeting 20 strangers in greece and then like inviting them to my home yeah group chat still alive yeah Have a good time it was just like it amazing and it just it felt like no time had passed and also felt like we were like oh shit like we actually didn't know each other even six months ago so crazy yeah someone was like man we've been playing this for so long they're like we met four months ago (laughs) yeah we're like i have i didn't even know you six months ago not yet so but no it was a great time yeah it, it really was um and i yeah i'm very much burnt out today And was, like, having a little bit of, like, residual – I'm not hungover because I didn't do anything yesterday. But, like, I almost – I feel, like, so drained that I got anxious this morning. Mm. I don't know if that ever happens to you. But, like, when my energy totally bottoms out, it, like, triggers anxiety. Oh, yeah. I cried on the plane. I mean, there's also a – there's also some study they did. It's something like it's because it's a full day where you're not in control with traveling or something. Yeah. That you're all more emotional. On a plane? I don't know. I wasn't even watching anything. It was just my thoughts. So yeah, I get what you're saying. You're just crying. <laughs> like all of a sudden, me. I just was like, and we're crying. And I'm playing a game on my phone, and I'm crying. And I don't know why, but I think it's just a little bit lack of sleep. <laughs> I was thinking all day I could cry. I was like, I'm not going to, but I could. And I think it would right? feel nice. Sometimes um, just a looming feeling of crying. I know. So the good news is, is that one of the sponsors of our podcast is Sunset Lake CBD. And on days like today, I put a little in my coffee, which I don't normally do every day. I use it's it a to good sleep. move. I use it to sleep every move. day. But when I'm feeling anxious in the morning, I add it to my coffee. They have like an the unflavored tincture is perfect for your coffee. Yeah. Or I mean, hey, if you like mint, you want a mint coffee, they got a mint flavor too. True. True. <laughs> I don't could. know that I'll try that anytime soon. But uh it takes a little bit of the the edge off the anxiety. It also helps, like sometimes caffeine makes that worse, mm-hmm. and so it yeah, takes like, the edge off the drinker. caffeine. 
Yeah. But if yeah, if I have it though, I feel like if I'd add the CBD, I'd I'm like less like jittery. Yes. You know, because you want the caffeine to be awake and then you feel kind of jittery. So that's when it's clutch. But exactly. I brought my melatonin CBD with me. That's always what I bring with me everywhere. I mean, yeah, that pretty much lives in my pocket. But uh, so if anybody wants to try these things out, sunsetlakecbd.com, you can get 20% off with our code FMH220 and you can use it over and over again on the whole website. Yeah. And holidays are coming up. It makes a great gift. So great sunsetlakecbd.com. Go check yeah. them out. So I've talked a little bit on the pod about how I've been trying to extend my damp January into into future months. And I have really been enjoying recess mocktails as a way to have what feels like a fancy drink at home, but without the alcohol. Yeah. And also, it's nice to have something in your fridge that just has a little bit of flavor. Totally. And they're they're delicious. They're made with real fruit, sweetened with agave, and again, 0% alcohol. So just a nice, nice little flavorful drink. That is a little little play on our favorites here. They got a bunch of great flavors. My personal favorite is the Recess Watermelon Mojito. I actually like to garnish it like it's a actual cocktail. Like I put it in a coupe glass, feeling all fancy, garnish it with a little sprig of mint. It is delicious. And my favorite is the Recess Ginger Lime Mule. I'm a ginger gal. And what I love also, not too sweet. Perfect amount of just a little little sweet treat. They're absolutely delicious, and you can get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash FMH, so you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. Um, You introduced me to matcha this weekend, speaking of caffeinated things. Yes, I'm a big matcha fan. I don't know why I had never tried it, and I... But I hadn't, and we went to Cha Cha Matcha, which is like one of those like Instagram cute places. Yeah, it was one of like the first ones in the city too. Oh, was it? I was doing matcha stuff and then they doubled down like matcha pastries, all, all, yeah, yeah. all that jazz. But it's, if you like it there, then you like it because it's pure. It's like the strongest form of it. You know, I don't know how else to describe it, but. It was so good. But, like, yeah, like other places, like chain places, the mixture is always like a sugary yeah. mixture that's not the real stuff. That place is like real. They're doing the wooden bowl with the wooden whisk. It's, it's a whole thing. I think I thought matcha was really sweet. See, if you get it it from like a chain place, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was just wrong. Very (laughs) wrong. And I had just written it off in my mind because I thought it was super sweet. And that's like not my jam for my drinks. And yeah, I tried it and I literally kept, I felt like such a nerd, but like we got it and we were wandering through timeout market and I kept being like, this is so good. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome. (laughs) Welcome to 2023. You're like, yeah, everyone knows. You're the only yeah. one who didn't know about this. <laughs> yeah, I love I love it. I've always been a tea drinker. So if you don't like green tea, you won't like it. But if you like tea, worth it worth a try. Worth a try. Yeah. I I love that stuff. Yeah. I, really I down it all it. the time. Um, so I have a couple updates on last week's updates, if you will. So the first of which is that I have an actual date on the calendar with Speed Racer. So we were correct. Yes, we were correct. He forgot to reply. Shit happens. I prompted a, a reply. I said, I basically was like, hey, are you, know, you still thinking you want to go out this week? I forget exactly what I said, but something like that. And he very quickly was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry like that this got like lost. Yes. And then he suggested a day. He suggested he gave me two activity options, axe throwing or mini golf. I picked axe throwing. Fun. I'm very excited about it. 
And so we're going to do that this week. It's also great because, like you pointed out on the Patreon, he doesn't drink. So it's like yeah. a good – I wanted to do an activity anyway. I like an activity on the second or the third date. And he went right there with that. I still – I'm excited and I'm like glad that I reached out and I don't think there was any ill intent. I still am like – I don't really think I've ever fully forgotten – to reply to somebody that I was super excited to see. And he also had the flu. So yeah. could be sick and catching up on stuff. That's why I was in benefit of the doubt area. You know, For you sure. get sick, it throws everything off. For sure. And I'm, I'm with you. It's more one of those like, my antenna are raised. You know, it's just more one yeah. of those like, okay, noted. Yeah. As, as it should be. You yeah. got it. Yeah. yeah. You're like, okay. But you're going out again. We're going out again. I'm excited about it. I, I really enjoyed our date long ago though it was. <laughs> and uh so yeah, so we will we will see on that. And then we have a new guy on the scene. We're just calling him Tinder Kirk at the moment. No nickname mm-hmm. until we go out. Um and so that'll be another first date. Probably not this week because I have I'm booked every night of the week, including the date with Speed Racer. And then Rourke is coming next weekend. Oh yes. Yeah. Rourke's yeah. gonna be in town. I'm not there. Rourke's but- gonna be in town. I know. I'm bummed it was when you were in Vegas. Um, it's all good. I'll see you in LA. You know? Yes. Very true. Yeah. You guys get to see each other all the time. Um, so then she'll be here. So I'm booked every night this week. Then Rourke will be here. So I don't have a night to go out with him um, until Rourke heads out. So I might suggest Sunday. I haven't decided yet. Not about a Sunday date. I think it's nice. Yeah. So I might do it after we record. Then I'll like do my hair and makeup for our recording and then head out to the date. Good to go. Exactly. Yeah great plan yeah so that's that and then the other update on like my personal dating level that i have is i have been seeing on tiktok and a friend of mine brought to my attention actually a guy friend of mine brought to my attention a tiktok about people resetting their hinge oh yes i remember they introduced this a long time ago but i only found it when i went to delete my account it offered it to me exactly Exactly. So people have been posting on TikTok about how if you exactly like you said, if you go to like pretend you're going to delete your account, Hinge will be like, no, no. What about a fresh start? They don't apparently offer it to everyone because I've also seen videos of people that went to do it and didn't get the option. Interesting. Maybe so, it's those of us that have deleted it several times. They're like, okay. <laughs> They're like, we, we know it. you're going to pull trigger. <laughs> so. Yeah. We, you're and we not know you come right it. back. <laughs> this is a bluff. We're calling yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, you deleted um, to just come right back. Right. And you're like, get that you'll, refresh. You'll be back. Um, so, yeah, so, but it worked for me. So, I went to say, delete my account. And, and it said something like, instead of deleting, do you want to, would you like a fresh start instead? And then it like, it does a whole little animation of like, we're deleting your history. We're resetting your matches. We're making oh. a brand new pool for you. And it okay. like does this whole little, like, you know, the like stupid. I don't even know what he is, like little cloud with an H, like hingy or whatever, their little logo guy. He's like dancing around in this little animation while they're resetting your hinge. Yeah, it's like Clippy from the word art. Yes, it's exactly like Clippy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, They literally, his name is Hingy, I'm pretty sure. Um, So anyway, so I did it. And that same day, and you get to keep all your matches and your profile, which is a big plus. That makes sense. Yeah. They don't get rid of the, rid of the matches that you already have. Yeah. Right. And you don't have to redo your whole profile like if you actually delete your account. Mm-hmm. So those are pluses. So I did it. And that day I got seven likes. And that is astronomically higher than what I had gotten per day mm-hmm. previously. 
Yeah, that's what I've seen everybody I've seen posting about it. Said at least yeah. got them a handful. I, I will say that none of those seven likes I matched with. Okay. Unfortunate, but it's so, nice to feel like somebody's seeing it. Somebody because before and and since then, that was like four or five days ago. Since then I I do now have two conversations going on Hinge. But like I wasn't even getting likes from people I wasn't interested in previously. Like I was getting nothing. Like my profile yeah. didn't even exist. Yeah. When it's a desert, you're like, okay. Yeah. So Wait, also, least... doesn't it cost like a couple dollars to do this? I forgot to ask. It didn't cost me anything. Now it's free. Okay. When they offered it to me, it was something like $4 to do it. I was wondering if they were going to test that. Like maybe they charge some people, like they're trying to figure out what the market is for it. Cause it's certainly a business opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, but also I'm like, they have charged us enough fucking money. Give it to me for free. Yeah. Well, or oh, maybe because you're a paid member. I was I was just about to say that. Yeah, like maybe that's maybe that's why. I don't know for a fact. That makes sense. Okay. But let me ask my friend who told me about it though, because he doesn't pay for Hinge and he did it. I didn't ask him if it was free or not. I can ask. Yeah, him. I can't remember when they offered it to me if I was paying or not. Yeah. But I remember being like, of course, another charge. But in my current state of Hinge, I think way worth. I would rather spend $7 and do that than pay for like Hinge X or whatever. It's fair. Yes. Very fair. Um, so yeah. So I did that. So maybe I will actually go on a Hinge date. Um, so, cause right now I've got Speed Racer as Bumble and then this new Kirk is Tinder. And I also did, I do have a match on the league that I'm going to message when we get off this recording after I redownloaded the league. Oh, nice. I know. You sent me the link. I didn't I didn't do it yet because I was leaving town. So I was like, ah, I'll check it out later. Yeah, fair. Maybe I'll try it fresh when I'm in LA. Just be like, new app, back in town. Yeah. See what's I, up. I'm not optimistic. I've only ever been – I've been on the league off and on for probably 10 years. I don't know how long the mm-hmm. league's been around, but like pretty much since it, since its inception. And I've gone on one date. I can I can count on literally one finger the number of leagues. Yeah, you recapped it on. here. No, this was a long, long time ago. No, you talked. There was someone you went out with from the league, or at least we're supposed to. When since I've been podcasting here. Oh shit! Maybe it's two that dates then. Maybe it's two. Either way, not 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 very many. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Yeah. Not, not enough, enough to but, recommend yeah. it as an app. Um. So anyway, that's my that's my update. So we are we are gonna see. Going to say all right. That's nice. Got stuff in the queue. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you have an update about the folly, right? Yes, we went out for a second date. We ended up getting food. Uh, really cute place that has also really good like shared plates called Benamon in yeah. the East Village. Great spot if you're looking for date spots. Um, which I wanted to say, if you keep seeing Speed Racer, it is an interesting challenge to do dates that are not focused on drinking. For Very sure. True. Very true. Um, anyway, so I had a really nice time. We ended up having dinner and then moved to a different bar called The Garrett which is also in the East Village, and a speakeasy, which I did not know upon arriving because you were the one that told me about it. And I did forgot to mention that part. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was so confused. And then I like he was like, isn't the bar? Where's the bar? I'm like, it's supposed to be right here. I don't know. Um, Whoops. <laughs> but uh, great cocktails. It's like every cocktail has like a little twist of something that you're like, that sounds weird. But then it's it good. is delicious. Yeah. Delicious. They know what they're doing. Great spot. Yeah. And... I mainly wanted to continue the date because I still felt kind of this like energy from him that he wasn't like fully comfortable. So I was like, mm-hmm. let me like make this a little longer and see if maybe different environment, like 
any any kind of stuff from that and yeah i think he did get more comfortable as the date went on um i think he's just naturally just more like kind of like passive a little yeah. bit did you did you um, feel like it helped to go from the restaurant environment to like more of a dimly lit speakeasy like sexy vibe well what's interesting is he still wasn't like touchy at all or like flirty mm. but he was more talkative okay so like suddenly he was being really really chatty and oh. so i was like okay i think maybe he's just a little bit more comfortable because mm. in on dinner it i still had that same feeling from the first date where i feel like they're like just asking you questions yeah and you're like no no, no you talk too uh, like, i also would like to hear your voice yeah i'm trying to get to know you too um something interesting that actually came up was about like meeting people's families mm-hmm. because he actually was uh born and raised in the city and so I was like, oh, uh, I don't know how it came up. Or maybe it probably was me talking about my family that like uh, people like my brother or sister, whoever's dating somebody like the family meets them rather quickly. Yeah. But we don't see it as a super serious thing. Yeah. I mean, we literally ran into your sister on accident on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> on <So>. accident. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I was like, I'm, we're going to this bar. She's like, I'm going to that bar, too. I was like, well, see you there. <laughs> uh, but I said, I was like, my family's just often around, and there's usually some family event every, what feels like every couple of months. Yeah. That, like, I try to go to if I can and whatever. So, right. you know, and especially now, I stay down the shore when I'm in New York, and so often my parents are down there for something, too. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I was like, I, you know, I've had people meet my parents on the quicker side. And I can see that it's a little bit of a panic for some people. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, this is, to them, it's not this big thing. This doesn't mean like, oh, wow, this is getting really serious, at least to me and my family. Yeah, I agree with you. I've had people meet my family way earlier than probably most. Right. So I then I asked him, like, have you brought anyone home to ever meet your family? And he was like, uh, no. Which I found very interesting being huh. very He's close, living in New York. Yeah. He's from New York. His parents still live in Queens. So I was like, huh, interesting. And then I almost asked, when was your last relationship? And then I just Uh didn't because I was like, I don't really think that matters in the grand scheme. Because also I'm like, yeah, that's. I don't think when the last one was. I think the fact that no one has ever gone and met your family is a little bit more of a telling sign for me. That's interesting. Yeah, but he also said like, it kind of means more to his family. Got it. So I was like, okay, fair, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, one thing I'm like struggling a bit is like our conversation and like overall date, it's good, but I don't feel like an extra level of connection. Hmm. What about like since the date? Have you guys been talking? Well, that's the other thing. We don't really talk in between. Yeah. And as much as I'm like, texting means nothing, where it's like, they're talking to me all the time, but there's no action. I also think it's it means something when there's just like no chatter in between. So we're supposed to go out again. He asked me to go out again. Um, and I said, yes. But I'm kind of like, if I don't hear from this man at all, the whole like eight, Actually, longer than a week because we talked before we had the Grease weekend and I hadn't heard from him since. So, I don't know. I'm kind of in the boat that I'm like, 
I might not go. I'm not sure yet. But mm. it just feels, it honestly just feels like I think both of us don't feel super into this. Like that connection. Yeah. Yeah. We're into it enough. It's nice. We get along. We have stuff in common. But there's no like extra thing, even from my end. Like yeah, if I, he ended up that. canceling or I didn't hear from him, I, th- I don't think I would really care. And then yeah. that makes me be like, so should you even go on the third date? Yeah, if you don't care, if you don't hear from the person, like that's bad. Yeah, because I also haven't had a thought to text him either. Right. Right, yeah, because you, yeah, you're not sitting here being like, "Ugh, I haven't heard from him." Like, what the fuck? You're like, "I yeah. don't, I haven't heard from him." I also don't really care, and I haven't thought, "Oh, I really want to talk to him." Yeah, I have. I just haven't. There right. hasn't that's been anything telling, that's come up that makes me be like, "Oh," but I think it's because of that connection thing. I said, "I'm like, it's just not." And then you know, when you have a nice person in front of you, you're like. Should I give this more of a try? Right. Is what's in my head being like, what's one more date going to do, Erica? Is it going to kill you? No. I mean, no, obviously. But like, you don't have much to lose if you go on another date. But also, does it make sense to do that if you're, if you don't even care if you see him again? Yeah. And to be honest, like I offered Sunday night, like I was like, hey, I got friends in town, but like I could definitely do something Sunday night. Like before you went to Vegas. Yeah, before we le- I left, and yeah. it was just like, yeah, I'm busy this weekend. Yeah. And it, it, so then I also was like, well, then I don't feel like you really want this to happen. I would think there would be like a little more, oh, I would love to see you before you leave. Or like, oh, I'm bummed I can't. Something, Something. right. Like you're not expecting him, oh, he should have canceled his plans. But like some sort of like, oh, damn, I wish I could see you before you leave. Like that sucks. Like can't wait till you get back. Something. Yeah. Like – as of right now, it almost feels like we're just navigating as friends. It's like, oh, you're out of town. Okay, let me know when you're back. All right, we'll get dinner sometime. You know, Maybe. it's like that vibe. I'm just, yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, because I'm trying to think about like what have my past behaviors been or patterns. But I don't know. The other part of me is like, eh, also just trust your intuition. I just, it just doesn't feel like it's growing in any way after seeing them again. So I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I I had you said something when we were recording the Patreon that that like resonated with me. But you said something that I thought to myself when I was dating the publicist, which is like, I just don't think this is my husband. Yeah, and that's a crazy thought to have like early in, right? Cuz then- it resonated with me though, cuz like I had that thought. Right, there's something to being like this is nice, but I just, it doesn't feel like my person. Yes. And especially since I have essentially never felt like my husband, my person level with mm-hmm. anyone. I also ask myself, like, when would that feeling come? Is three dates too quick to have that feeling on somebody or, or to not have it and be like, well, I don't feel this here. But I usually just go by excitement. Yeah, I I think it's like the lack or the opposite. Like I don't think I don't think that it's like oh by two dates by three dates you have to be thinking oh this is my person. Yeah. But the opposite. I don't want to be thinking this isn't it. 
Right, but there's no strong like deterrent. There hasn't been like yeah. some clear deal breaker or like gut feeling of no. And and I think because I'm a very decisive person, I almost like get annoyed in these situations that I'm yeah. like I don't feel like the needle is moving either way and it's almost like so if it's not a definitive yes, then it's a no, like you know, like you kind of play that game in your mind. Yeah. But I mean, for you to say that about publicists also makes sense. You went on what more than 12 dates with that guy. Yeah. Something like that. Very fair to just be like, I don't see this as a long-term thing. Let's just even make it more basic long-term. Yeah. I I thought it early on. And, and I like at the time I think was like, that's too early to think that, but I don't think it was. No, I don't think it was either. And like, both scenarios were like really nice guys absolutely there isn't really any negatives we can say about either of these people no so it makes you almost feel crazy like why don't i feel it with this person right or you know for me the personality of this person is the personality everybody tells me i'm going to end up with or i need Mm. but then i'm like okay the personality is here but I don't feel a click with this one. Yeah. But I think that's the main voice in my head being like, give it one more try is just because of all the stuff people have said to me over the years about like the type of guy, quote unquote, that I most likely will end up with. Yeah, And I don't think they're wrong either. Interesting. That I do think I'll be with a more like sweet side person Mm. who is like more soft than me. But that's also because for me to be soft with people, they often need to be, like, soft with me first. You, right, right, right. Like, you need that comfort or that safety. Yeah. And it's something I don't even actively think about it. I'm not like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to show my cards, you know. But it's more like, yeah, a lot of times when someone is more nurturing and, like, soft with me, then, like, I just feel comfortable or almost, like, lean into it. Right. Or I'm like, ooh, we're being soft? Okay. I'll be okay, soft. Okay, let's do it. Let's be soft. Okay. Let's have soft day, you know? <laughs> Let's 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 be soft and cry on the plane together, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, which shout out to whoever, what what whatever woman was sitting next to me. She saw me like my nose was like running a little bit, yeah. and I was like, I don't know if she can tell I'm like crying. Yeah. But all of a sudden she was like, Oh, do you want me to go get you a tissue? I was gonna go to the bathroom anyway, and got oh, up and grabbed so me some tissues, and I was like, Yeah, she, I think she knows I'm crying, she but knows. she's being respectful, being like, I won't ask you to talk about it. Because yeah. also I'd be like, I don't even know, lady. I don't even uh, yeah. know. Do you want to talk very about early? it? I don't know what to talk about. I don't know what we would be discussing. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I've had a long weekend. I'm on a plane. No idea. Anyway. But um, yeah. So I guess we'll see. On yeah. it. We'll see. Well, a, a couple things have come up in the news that we wanted to discuss before we get to our guest today. Yes. Yes. That Tinder has announced a new feature. Yeah. So Tinder has announced a, they're calling it like a matchmaking feature. And it is, there have been dating apps before. You mentioned Ship that w- was one of them. But there have been other dating apps before that have like attempted to bring non-singles into the dating app experience by letting friends swipe for you. Yeah, single or non-singles, but. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You can like, you have your friends swipe for you. I've heard of a bunch of those attempts over the years and they've just never gained traction and i've actually thought to myself like one of the major apps should just do this Mm -hmm. and tinder has done it so they just announced it 
and we'll link in the in the show notes. There was like a Forbes article about it, but it's kind of been all over. Um, they are now letting users invite friends to find potential matches for them. So they're not like swiping on people for you. They're not they're not like sending a like on your behalf. Oh, they're not. But they are. No, they're just sending you people they think you would like. So they're going through your queue and saying like, hey, Eric, I think you would like this guy. They're not actually sending a like on your behalf though, but they're saying like, you should like him. So this is my question. Mm -hmm. They log into the app under like their own name and it's like, they just get to see profiles and it's almost like you send a list to a friend of like, here's five guys I liked that you should check out. Yeah, so you you invite your friend to do it on your behalf. But it doesn't officially match you or not. No, it does not. So okay. basically that makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. It's similar. Like Bumble actually has something a little bit similar where you can like recommend a person to your friend who's a but that person has to also have a Bumble profile. So it's a yeah. little bit different where you can basically be like, oh hey Erica, I was swiping and I saw this guy. He lives in LA. I've actually done this before to my friend who lives in Austin, who's on dating apps. I was like, hey, I saw this guy in New York. He's really hot, but he lives in Austin. And I sent him her, I sent her his profile. This is a little bit different because you basically, I would give you permission to, oh my God. So we can cut this out later, but I just asked if Darcy had to pay for the hinge thing and he's calling me now. Should we see oh, what shit. he has to say? Yeah, see what he has to say. Hello. Hey. Hi. Well, I, I was. I'm walking, carrying stuff, but I was going to tell you, I something weird did happen with the hinge thing. Okay, wait. Can I say something first? Okay. I'm live recording with Erica right now about dating apps. Oh. And I decided to pick you up and put you on speaker, but we can cut it out later if you want. But. Well, no, that's that's fine. You, I mean, I don't know if you if it makes the pod, but I did find this interesting since I've just gotten back on them. Yeah. Uh. So, so I did the thing where you basically say you're not happy with Hinge. You back and say, like, I, I'm going to leave. And then it says, would, they ask you, would you like to reset the dating pool? Right. And I said, sure. So I did that. All of a sudden, like, I would say the qualities of the matches started to get better. But what I did notice, though, was that as I was swiping through a bunch there were a couple where I had like this creative idea of like we're, we're saying something witty or whatever. Yeah. And then I'm looking at it and I'm like, wait a minute, this was the girl. I sent this exact same message like last week because or two weeks ago when we were sitting in the car and I realized that I think now all the people that rejected you, you get back into their pools too. Oh, we didn't think about that. There's no other reason. Cause if they hadn't swiped right or not, or, or they hadn't made a swipe on me yet, I wouldn't be back in the pool. So I think once I was knocked out of that, I got put back into all the people that have rejected you too. Interesting. But like, so did they, wow. So basically you just get to shoot your shot again. Seemingly because th th there was one very specific thing. I forget what it was, what the reference was, but I, I had a very, it was like a very like detailed joke about one thing. And it was like a topic that was abnormal. And I, I was like, I, I had deja vu. I was like, I've definitely written this before. And then I'm looking at her pictures. And then I realized there was somebody that I swiped right on or that, you know, liked yeah. uh, while we were in the car. Dang. So maybe, or, or maybe it's people. I mean, he can't hear me, but years. So it was, it wasn't from that far back. So it's like, I have a, a bunch of likes on hinge that I haven't looked through. 
So almost maybe it's if you're in that pending, it'll just remove you and show you again. Or it literally just keeps the matches and fully resets. We don't know. Yeah. So Erica was just saying that like maybe it maybe like it removes you. Like maybe they hadn't rejected you. Maybe you were like still in their pending list. It could be, but whatever it is, uh, either I was on the pending list or they had just rejected me. And but because they had rejected me and I reset my dating pool, I was viewed as, as a new person or, you know, or like the, yeah. the black marks against you go away. So it would just I'm be not sure, but I just found it surprising. It would just be so weird if I like got an incoming message from a guy that said a specific thing. I said no. And then the next week I get the same message from the same dude. Right, but I would think it was, was just a glitch. Exactly what I was going to do, and I'm like, oh no, I'm going to look like a creepy person. So, <laughs> person, because I just assumed that she had said no to me already. Yeah. Oh. And, and, and then, as I started going through, the same thing happened. I definitely saw it like two or three other times, where I was like, oh, I've definitely seen that picture. Interesting. Well, thank. And on people that I definitely liked. Huh. All right. Well, thanks for your impromptu guest spot. We appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. No problem. I'm always here to help. Okay. All right. I'll talk to you later. Good Bye, Darcy. The rest of the pod. Bye. Well, that was fun. Okay. <laughs> we should have call-ins more, more often. Yeah. Live call-in on the show. Yeah. Although in the future, we'll figure out a way. I didn't realize until you started talking. I was like, oh, yeah, he can't hear her because I have my headphone in. I did in two seconds. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just be quiet. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting, though. Uh, that was interesting. Um, so... In any case, and that I'm I'm curious now if that happens to me. So I will I will be more keep my eyes open for people mm. that I think I've actually sent likes to before and see what happens. Um, but so with the Tinder thing, basically how they explain it, and it just launched today, so I have I have not had time to test it, but I'm going to. I would first give you permission to participate. So like I would like send you a special link that you would then get, and you click that link, and then. That person, once you go in, then you can swipe left and right on people for me, but mm. it's not actually creating a match. It's just going to then like tell me that you liked that person for me. So it's like it doesn't give full control to your friends. It no. gives like partial control. Partial. Okay. Yeah. But it's like – up. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and I also think it's – I mean, first of all, it's tapping into a whole other market of like people who like to swipe on dating apps but aren't single and obviously dating apps are serving ads to you. So, mm -hmm. like, there's a whole pool of people. But it also then could take some of the fatigue out of swiping maybe because I could be like, ugh, like, it's one more app to swipe on. But if I'm like, hey, Erica, will you do my Tinder swiping for me? And then I just can look and see who you like. That's easier. Yeah. I mean, I gave up full control of my hinge to a friend of mine once because she always finds boyfriends online. So oh, I was like, yeah. I don't know what you're doing. Just do it for me and whatever type of thing. So I gave full control. Like, I wasn't on it at all. Yeah. Um, except one time she liked someone that I knew and she didn't realize. Oh. And then all of a sudden got a message. And she was like, oh, no, what happened? And <laughs> I, I like went in the app and was like, oh, I'll talk to him. She's a friend. Um, but whatever. Uh, I gave full control. And then essentially she would just be like, OK, I have a date for you this day, blah, blah, would send me a picture. And what I liked yeah. about it, though, is just I was just too busy at the time to be like on the app myself. Totally. So I made like a Calendly and was like, all right, let's try this out. And I did go on one date. That was a really fun date, um, but ended up not going anywhere. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I'm not anti this because no. I I would I almost go full control. Honestly, I'd be like, here you go. Just do it for me. <laughs> yeah, I'll test it out. And if anybody out there is testing this out, write in slash podcast or DM us, whatever. 
podcast form is just easier. And uh, tell us tell us what you think. If you've if you've tested this out, we'll follow up. Well, we have a very special guest this week with a personal connection to you. Yes, we're having my fertility doctor on the show to answer all your questions. I'm super pumped. We did the first fertility one a couple of months ago. So if you haven't listened to that, it's episode number 124. We talk about both of our personal journeys with fertility, including my egg freezing process. So if you have questions or, you know, about the patient side of things, go back and listen to that. Yes. And uh, I'm very excited for you all to get to know Dr. Klatsky here. Uh, He actually is the co-founder of the place I ended up going to called Spring Fertility and the official IVF director. Um, I just, I really liked him. I went in for my consultation with him. Um, I had a handful of friends specifically use him. But as we know, some people are more comfortable with female doctors. You know, they got everything there, whatever you're looking for. But I'm very, very excited. I, I like him a lot and I'm so happy he was able to do this with us. Yeah, I'm excited for the listeners to hear the interview. He's super personable and just made me feel comfortable immediately. So I can only imagine he does the same for his patients. Yes. So without further ado, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Listen up, guys. If you haven't heard yet, we're coming to the DC Comedy Loft for another live podcast Thursday, March 21st. Get your tickets. We are, I think, over halfway sold out already. Well over halfway sold out. So get your tickets. If you want to come experience some magic live, we want to meet you. We want to talk to you. We're going to have so much fun. And it's also Allie's birthday that week. It is my birthday that week, so and my mom might be there. I'm excited. You can go to findingmrheight.com slash live to find an easy link, also in our bios, to get those tickets. And we are going to have an after party afterwards where we can really meet and greet, talk to everybody somewhere in the area. Yeah. So make sure you come. DC Comedy Loft, Thursday, March 21st. And if you want to check out some stand-up, I'm going to be there all weekend. So Friday and that Saturday, I'll be doing stand-up shows. Start swiping on Hinge. Bring a date. Have a good time. And... You'll, you can come and meet Allie's mom, which we still have some spots left on our Portugal trip. And a little update on that. A few of you reached out to us about, hey, I want to come either, unfortunately, I don't have my mom anymore, or I want to come with my aunt. I want to come with my sister. I just want to come with a friend. The trip is officially open to anybody that would like to come, as long as you don't mind. Half the trip being moms and daughter combos. Everybody's excited to come. Doesn't matter. You are welcome to join travel with us. It's going to be so, so fun. You can also check that out at findingmrheight.com slash podcast. If you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out. We're happy to answer anything. We're just so excited to be there with our moms and with you. Yep. Next October, October 4th through 10th. Check it out. Come travel with us too. And we are back with Dr. Klatsky. Hi, welcome to Finding Mr. Height, the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, you are my doctor and coincidentally a doctor of many of my friends who knew the comedy business would be so lucrative for your business. <laughs> we, we definitely have had the funniest patient population. Hell yeah. The most humorous. <laughs> Hell yeah. I love to hear that. Um, so real quick, uh, I feel like most doctors that are in this space somewhat have a reason that got them interested in fertility. What is your background? What do you think brought you to becoming a doctor, OBGYN slash fertility specialist. It's funny, when I started medical school, the one thing I knew I was not going to be was an OBGYN. Oh, funny. Um, <laughs> I was always aware of how much uh, people would suffer who couldn't have children. I'm, I'm an only mm. child. My parents tried for about five or six years. That was back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, to have a sibling from like a, another child. 
uh, and were unsuccessful and, and bore that scar and that, and that pain through, you know, my childhood. Um, that was before we had IVF, before we had many treatments, before we really knew what caused infertility. And, and to be honest, oftentimes we don't, but, um, so, so I always had that awareness of what a profound impact you could have as a fertility specialist and in, in helping couples. But, um, as a young man entering medical school, I was really passionate about the field of global health, malaria, infectious disease. And then I did a rotation, uh, in Queens where I got to deliver babies. And, and I found that to be the most happy, magical place in the hospital. And it's the only place when you think about going to a hospital that you're actually looking forward to going to the hospital. And as a provider, you get to journey with somebody. You could meet somebody for the first time on the labor and delivery floor, spend the next 24 hours with her and her partner. And you shared in this really amazing life moment and sort of the oral history of their family. And you could develop a, a terrific bond with somebody over 12 to 24 hours. You know, that was when we worked 24 hour shifts. Um, and, and, and I found that amazing, um, and ended up falling in love with the field. I, I was fortunate to, um, be guided by some wonderful physicians who, who really engaged me and, uh, and I was still interested in public health. So women's health, public health were very, uh, prominent in it. And, and then I was aware of the field of fertility, which was, uh, intellectually, scientifically to me, uh, the most cutting edge, fast moving, exciting space. And you get to make a profound impact in people's lives. And so, um, so, so OBGYN, I fell in love with labor and delivery. I also knew that there was this wonderful field of reproductive endocrinology and fertility where we got to actually make a profound impact on people's lives and do something that was super intellectually stimulating, super, uh, and advancing just leaps and bounds. And, and today, the way I practice medicine it is remarkably different than the way I practiced even 12 years ago. Oh, wow. when I came out of fellowship. So what, what we, the way IVF or fertility treatments look today compared to 2008, when I started fellowship is like night and day at that point, 35% of the pregnancies from IVF were twin or even triplet today. I was going to say, I feel wow, like I knew yeah. so many people that they had IVF twins because it, we were doing multiple eggs. Anymore. Totally. Yeah. We were putting multiple embryos in. We didn't have a way to differentiate good embryos from bad egg freezing. Wasn't a thing. I, 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 I Specifically, remember 2009, a very good friend of mine asked me if she should freeze her eggs. Um, and I told her, no, I said, we, we can mm. freeze them, but we're not going to be able to thaw them well. And so it wasn't oh, until 2010, that the first paper came out that showed that you could use using a new technique called vitrification, freeze eggs, and then warm them and expect to have a good result. And, and, and by expect to have a good result, you know, have, have, have reasonable confidence that this was a worthwhile endeavor that, that she had a, a high probability of being able to have a baby. So, so, so prior to 2010, I was discouraging people from freezing eggs. 2010, wow. I was like, wow, this is going to change everything. And like it, it took ASRM and the European Society for Human Reproduction about two years before they declared that egg freezing is no longer experimental. But that was only 2012, right? And, and, That's and it, and wild. It took, yeah. And, and it took yeah. people. Um, it right. wasn't until the last really like five to seven years that egg freezing's become so normalized. Mm -hmm. and, and, and in 2014, 2015, 2016, people still felt a little bit like there was some stigma behind it. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, I'm, I'm a smart, proactive woman. I'm proactively managed so many things in my life and I'm going to do this in case. 
and, and, and even the dialogue around it. And I think it's still changing. It's still normalizing, but you know, it used to be, you know, people were coming in and they were you know, 38 to 40 and they felt like they were back, their backs were against the wall and, and, and they were really depressed doing it. Now, increasingly we see women in their young, in, in their early thirties who, and they're not even sure they want to have a child. Right. And, and they're just looking for options. Mm-hmm. And so, 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 so that part of our field has dramatically changed. Um, Twins are, are are such a rarity now that we can test and transfer one embryo at a time. So uh, so it's been really exciting to be a part of that and, and to um, be able to just walk into a field at a time of just rapid rapid change. Because we we also couldn't test embryos. That those first papers started coming out in 2011, and then they were replicated. And so so if you look at like 2013, the vast majority of embryos were still multiple embryo transfers. Um, they, they, there was a big debate, should we transfer embryos on day three or go to day five, day six? And, and, and you'd go to conferences, there'd be debates, like, should we test embryos? Should we not test embryos? Should we do extended culture? And, you know, in the last five years, that debate's really died down. And now, you know, our big topic of discussion for us is, is how do we, one, get healthier babies and how do we help more people access this, this mm-hmm. care? And access everything, yeah. I, I'm curious on a, a small question front here. Let's say you do a few rounds of IVF with only one embryo and it doesn't take. Is the advice to just continue with one or is that when you decide to like increase the number of embryo transfers in one session? If we're using a tested embryo, typically we got to look at why you're not having success, right? Is there something to do with the endometrium? Usually we'll look for some signs of chronic inflammation. Um, we'll look at the protocol. Was it a controlled or programmed cycle where we're giving you the estrogen and progesterone? Can we do a natural cycle? Um, and, and are there modifications we can make? Why is it failing? Is the embryo not implanting or is it implanting and miscarrying? So, so there's, a, there's a few things to look into, but, but really I would be hard pressed to take a, a, what we call a euploid embryo, a chromosomally normal embryo and transfer more than one. Hmm. Cause I'm, okay. I'm, I'm old enough to remember transferring two embryos and occasionally getting triplets because they can't oh, divide. Wow. Right. Wow. So even when you transfer one embryo, you know, that's the thing you still have like a one to 2% chance of, of it dividing, getting twins. Identical. Right. Like the regular percentage that you would have anyway. Right. Exactly. So, so regular percentage is about one in 75. Um, and, and with IVF, when we transfer one embryo, it's still about one in 75. However, those are all identical. So it's a higher risk of identical twins with IVF. Oh, yeah. And, that makes sense. And, and yeah, exactly. We, we don't really understand that. Probably has something to do with the fact the embryo is outside in the lab and then it transferred in. I had no idea that it was so new. So oh. I, the, sort of like more recent trend that you described is literally me. I'm 36 now. I froze my eggs two years ago and I was 34 and I don't know if I want kids to this day. Don't know. That's and so exactly that was right. me. And, that and, was that's, me and, 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 and that's most of our patients. You know, that, that's the first thing. Sometimes people are a little bashful when we're talking about it and, and, and they, it's almost like they don't want to say, well, I'm not sure that I want to have kids. And, 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 and we're definitely like, no, absolutely. That, that makes total sense. Um, this is about options. It's not about, oh, I, I have to have a baby. It's about options. It's about optimizing my probability. Should I want to have children in the future? The other thing that some of these people don't realize is it's not about when you're going to have your first child. It's about when you want to have your last child. That's because exactly secondary what infertility. said. Yeah, because the first one will be easier because you'll be younger. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, been, it's been fascinating to be around watching this, this sea change. Um, you know, and, and honestly, a lot of, credit to Facebook and Google. Cause I, I was back in San Francisco in 2016 
when they um, decided they were going to cover it for their employees. And that started normalizing it. And then a few patients trickled in and, and, and told their friends, hey, this wasn't the worst thing in the world. And it gave me a lot of confidence. And I felt much better knowing I had these eggs frozen. So one thing we do on the pod sometimes is we do a Mythbusters segment. And we figured this fertility episode would be a great opportunity for some of these myths. Cool. Uh, so we surveyed our listeners here. Uh, I feel like the number one question we got in general from submissions was all about age. So let's try our first myth here. Uh, is there an age limit on freezing your eggs? Hard and myth fast. Myth or not a myth? Um, at Spring Fertility, we, we won't freeze eggs in women who are 44. Um, there's only been one live birth um, in somebody who froze their eggs at 43. And I say won't, but there's always unique exceptions. Um, I had one patient who had a uniquely large number of follicles. She was freezing her eggs at 43. She was extremely well counseled. She knew that like in all reported studies, there's maybe two live births among women who froze their eggs at age 43. Um, and she had insurance coverage. She had one more cycle and she had turned 44. She was really, really, really well counseled. And each time she froze her eggs, even at 43, she was getting about 15 mature eggs. So, so it's hard to say absolutely not, because if you're getting 15 mature eggs at age 43, is that not a better chance than somebody getting two mature eggs at 39? So, so, so one doesn't want to have hard and fast cutoffs, but uh, I do counsel patients more aggressively and, and, and more candidly about statistics, always candidly, but, but, but I really dive deeper into those statistics when you're over 39. Um, there's good evidence that if you're under 38 and the egg survives, the, the warming process that you're going to have actually no difference in outcomes compared to fresh eggs. Now, not every egg that's frozen right is going to survive, but under 38, we're seeing really, at least at spring, we're seeing really great data. Um, after 38, after 37, really the chance that you're, you get a chromosomally normal embryo goes down hmm. and probably the same thing that's causing that aneuploidy, aneuploidy is when, when the egg fails to separate its chromosomes evenly. Probably the same thing that leads to that also leads to um, more sensitivity to the freezing and warming process. So even if the egg survives, we see that the embryo development rates go down further than we would have expected based on age alone. It's funny. You you literally transitioned into our second myth buster. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like per perfectly. I don't know if you're like a, a co-host of the show. Um, no, but I answer these questions are, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. So the second myth buster that we had for our audience was freezing your eggs and using them later isn't as effective as using fresh eggs when you're older. Is not as effective. No. Yeah, that's a myth. So, so there's a little nuance there, right? Um, whenever you freeze an egg, uh, if, if, if the clinic that you're at has good experience with it, we like to believe that there should be at least 80 to 90% survival of those mature eggs that's what's good egg freezing. That still means that you're probably losing 10 to 20% that you wouldn't be otherwise losing. Mm. However, the chance of that egg becoming a healthy embryo, if you froze your eggs, as you mentioned, you did at 34. Mm. And if you were waiting doing IVF at 39, those are very different. So an embryo that develops from a 34 year old's eggs is going to be chromosomally normal about 60 to 65% of the time. An embryo that develops from somebody's eggs who's 39, that's only going to be chromosomally normal maybe 40, 45% of the time. So, so 
so yes, there's some loss rate in the freezing and warming process. Absolutely. But the whole concept is, is that you're, the egg when it's frozen is more likely to be chromosomally intact. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Our, and our listeners also said it was a myth. So yeah. at least my audience did the, the majority of them. The, the one caveat I would say is it also depends on the, the time course. So if somebody came into our office, and this happens sometimes, who's 32, and, and maybe she's uh, with a partner or they're sort of deciding if they're going to have children, and she wants to, should I freeze my eggs now or should I freeze or, or should I do IVF in a year? Mm. And, mm. And, and then I actually would not freeze your eggs because whatever yeah. gain you get from two years um, is lost in the freezing and warming of the eggs. Freezing embryos is different, right? Embryos is when you fertilize the eggs and and then, um, and then that's typical of, of IVF. Even if some people, someone's trying to get pregnant today, we usually freeze the embryo before we put it back in, especially if we're testing the embryo. Interesting. So can I ask a question to almost like dumb it down a little bit for the cool. listeners? Sorry, yeah. So essentially you're saying like taking a fresh egg at your example was 39 versus a frozen egg at, let's say, 32. Let's make it a bigger gap. Sure. 32-year-old frozen egg is going to do much better than the fresh egg at 39. Okay. So uh, basically unless there like, is a problem with freezing the egg, unless the egg doesn't survive. If the egg right. survives all, all other much things, better. Yeah. Much better. So it's the dumb it down question is kind of like, so the eggs are more likely to, quote, be good eggs from the younger age. Absolutely. That, that's the whole concept of it. And, and I think that okay. one of the reasons people were confused is because um, people don't recognize that one in 11 IVF births in the United States come from a donor egg. And so oftentimes in the media, we'd see wow. all these celebrities getting pregnant and, and doing IVF at age 44. And in our field, we'd know, right? Like, and, and it was very clear because like there were no twin pregnancies in the country reported above age 43 in women using their own eggs. But then you'd see a celebrity at 45 with twins. And so everybody in our field understands like, okay, she, she used donor eggs. And at 45, if you're doing IVF for the first time, it's almost always going to be donor eggs that's going to be the successful route. But but nobody has to go and advertise that, right? When they're on right. Us Magazine or, you know, People yeah. Magazine, they say, yeah, I did IVF. And great, we have a baby. And, and, and so that contributed to that myth. Oh, I'll just do IVF later on. That seems to work for everybody. And, and IVF can work. It can work when you're 50 if we're using mm -hmm. donor eggs. And most of the donor eggs are incidentally frozen eggs now. So they're frozen anyway. So then it's yeah. like, so it's, yeah. So, so, so the concept of freezing your own eggs, it's to essentially freeze your eggs so that if you needed in the future, you could be your own egg donor. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Being your huh. own egg donor. I like that. Yeah. That kind of simplifies it. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and, I mean, functionally, that's what you're doing is you're, you're freezing your eggs now when you're at a young age. And as far as like the optimal age under 35, I think is, is reasonable. I don't think that there's a difference in, um, you know, I usually tell people walk, don't run if you're 31, 32, because whether you're 31 or 33, you're going to have a great outcome. And I don't think there's a, a substantially better outcome at 30 versus 33. I, I do think that above 34, that's where things start to change hmm. meaningfully on a year to year basis, but not, is, um, I wasn't just being nice to Ali. I was just like, no, no, no. <laughs> you're like, you're, you're 34 just... was perfect. Good job. Okay, yeah, <laughs> Where I would tell my daughter. Well, right? like, but you honestly just keep walking into our other MythBuster questions. Okay, which sorry. Is, this is this that is the next one. Time. No, don't that's don't great. apologize. You clearly know your stuff. <laughs> and these are, you know, we looked up some of the most common myths actually, and that's how we created these. So, 
Great. A question we got from many people in different forms is essentially, what is the ideal age to freeze your eggs? And, and I think that depends. I, to me, um, I, I think it's it's reasonable to do a test about your ovarian reserve. And there are tests, there's a hormone called AMH. If that's low and you're 25, you might want to look into it because that means your body may not produce as many eggs. But the quality of a 25-year-old's eggs and the quality of a 32-year-old's eggs is pretty much the same. It, 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 the, any difference is so infinitesimal. Starting in your mid-30s, the quality of the eggs start to change. The number of the eggs that you can get, that declines by about like one egg on average every two, three years. Um, but you know, I, I tend to think between 30 and 34 is the sweet spot. You don't want to be paying for storage longer than you need to. So if you can get tons of eggs at age 25, that you know, you're just paying for storage longer and you could have gotten mm -hmm. tons of eggs at age 30. Um, if you have insurance coverage that's going to cover your egg freezing and you're concerned you might lose a job, that's a great reason to, to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I think that those are all factors. Um, sometimes people are in a relationship and one partner really wants children and the other partner is not sure. Um, and, and so, so there are times where that can provide more reassurance and, and more relaxation. Sometimes relationships, um, aren't progressing as quickly as one wants. Um, and maybe there's like concern or question on, on one or both partners sides. Sometimes I can take the pressure off of the relationship. It's not that you're not going to proceed with, uh, any egg freezing. Um, it's interesting that you say that because most of my audience that I polled thought that the ideal age to freeze their eggs was like 27, 28. Mm -hmm. So people are I, panicked, I, apparently. I think a lot of people are. And I think that's too bad. I, I think that um, usually when people leave my office, they feel better than when they came in because they're hearing that. They're hearing that, oh, my God, your eggs are aging. Oh, fertility declines. All true. But it's when does it decline? So there's not much difference between your mid twenties and your early thirties mm -hmm. and, and, and not like it's measurable, but slowly. And so usually uh, it's hard to go to a, a fertility physician's office. If you leave and you're under 35 and you feel stressed or anxious, I, it might not be a good fit, but I, I, that's like a good like litmus test for your provider, your doctor. Um, you should feel if you and if you're 27 and you're seeing a provider really like at 27 you want to just say hey do my numbers look okay and if they do personally i'd wait three years unless you three three to five years um mm -hmm. un, unless you're feeling stressed unless it's something that's on your mind right and that's not a measurable thing that's not a quantifiable thing if you feel like well yeah but i'm dating i've had patients push back on me right who are 27 who i, who I tried to discourage who had lots of follicles and, and I was like, you really don't need to do this. And, and they were like, yes, I do. And, and almost like, like, hey, doc, I know what I'm doing. Mm. And if your mom's on your case dating, if you're going to every date feeling like it has to be a 10. And, and, and if that's, and, and if there's for some reason, your, your biologic clock is sort of weighing on you, this can be very liberating, right? And that can be liberating somebody at 28. But, but from a, Outcomes perspective, I don't want anybody to think that they have to do this at 27 um, because at 30, it'll be too late or at 33, it'll be too late. That's absolutely not true. Uh, so I remember when I did my first like consultation with you guys, you showed me a handful of charts and like research data being like, hey, this is the real truth about fertility because 
it feels like the minute you turn 30 as a woman, suddenly everybody's talking to you about fertility or you're getting ads for egg freezing and all this stuff. And I feel like that was the old myth was like, oh, when you're 30, your fertility is declined. It has declined. It's dropping real quick. You got to get on it. But when I came to you, you essentially showed me a chart that said like the quote cliff, like the first real big drop you have is at 35, right? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, there's a lot of data. And, and, and I just think data speaks so much better than opinion. Because you can talk to another fertility doctor and they'll say something different. They'll say, oh, yeah, you should freeze at 27. And, and I just think I, I try to put data out for my patients to make a determination on what's right for them. And and because the data aren't going to lie, especially if they're, they're large studies where you say, okay, here's a study of 30,000 women. And, and here's how many eggs that they were able to produce going through an IVF cycle. Or here's the efficiency, the chance that one egg becomes a baby. Does that change? much like it changes marginally, marginally, marginally between 25 and 35. Um, now, you know, but, but everybody's unique, right? And, and there's some people, um, I, I met 31 year olds who have an AMH of 0.1 and only have one follicle on both ovaries combined. Mm-hmm. And that's somebody who's only going to get one egg per attempt. And, and, and if she was 27 and finding that out and she might get two eggs per attempt, okay that's that, that marginal difference actually matters. And right. so, so, I, you know, what, what, what I will encourage my daughter to do is, is to check like her ovarian reserve and, and, and you can do it very easily, even with your primary care doctor, get a, a test called an AMH or anti-malarian hormone. And if that's normal, you might feel reassured and you might defer that, that initial consultation to your 30. If you find out at 25, Hey, this is a lot lower than my age range should be. Okay. Then maybe I explore it. And, um, you know, and, and if your follicle count is four and you're 31, you'll probably want to proceed sooner and it's going to have greater value. If somebody says, okay, I can get 16 eggs at age 30. And if I wait two years, I get 15 eggs at 32. That's not really a meaningful difference. Yeah. In that kind of exploratory phase, you mentioned talking about, you know, figuring out if a clinician is right for you and oh, that might not be a fit. What advice would you have for somebody who is exploring options and, you know, figuring out who's good, who's reputable? How do I decide? So hard. So hard, especially with egg freezing. What people mm-hmm. also don't recognize about egg freezing. So another myth about egg freezing is I'll freeze my eggs wherever, and then I can decide where to do IVF later. Egg freezing is the hardest thing we do in the IVF lab. Remember, it's the last hurdle. When I told you about 20, 2009, I told my friend, my good friend, don't freeze your eggs. Um, so, so, so egg freezing has not been around for a long time because it's the hardest cell in your body to freeze. We've been freezing sperm since the 70s. Embryos since the late 80s and embryos really, really reliably, like with 99% survival, 98% survival since the early 2000s. Eggs done well. Like, And I think spring, I think we freeze eggs. I'm biased, right? But I think we freeze them better than anybody else. Our, our survival rates after over 3,700 eggs warmed is, is 92%. Um, but one, the place should be able to tell you their percentages. They should be able to tell you what is the survival rate and, and what is the embryo development rate from per frozen egg at my age. So, so one, they need to have that data and be transparent with you on that. Um, two, I, I like data. Like, like I like doctors who share numbers, like in my own life, like I, I want to know, okay, you're making a recommendation. Where's that coming from? Right. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's important. 
Um, I think I wish every fertility center would guarantee or have a threshold at which they will give you your money back if you're not successful. Um, because, because I think that would be a real, you know, putting your thumb down. The hardest thing about egg freezing is, is because it's so critical what happens in the lab and because we don't know that outcome for so long. So there's a huge trust and there's a huge gap. If I'm doing IVF and, and, and if it doesn't go well, either because I screwed up or, or just because it was a hard case, we're going to know that in a week or two, right? right? With egg freezing, you're freezing your eggs and, and, and there's a big gap until you know. So um, it is something that we, like, we, we as a team decided. Um, it, it, we, if you have 20 eggs frozen before you're age 35 and you don't get pregnant with IVF, Spring will, will refund you all the money, including the storage oh, that wow. you spent on the egg freezing. Wow. Um, and, and we'll do the same thing between 35 and 37, but, but that threshold is 30 mature eggs. And, 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 and that just gives people a sense of how to think about this. It reminds them that this is not a guarantee. We're not saying that you, you're definitely going to get, so, so there's, and it's, and the other thing that's hard about egg freezing is you don't know what you have frozen, right? There are people who feel terrible about four frozen eggs at 33, but if you, but I've seen patients literally thaw four frozen eggs and get four embryos. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then you've seen other patients who had 19 frozen eggs and get one embryo. And that's before testing. So, 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 um, but one, obviously you want to make sure that you can get your questions answered. You want to make sure that, that people are answering your questions and respecting you by giving you data and, and, and evidence and not just saying yes, no. Um, you, and you want to feel comfortable in the team and then, and that includes the nurses and, and, and the patient navigator or psycho coordinator, cause they are so critical to your experience. Um, I like to do my own monitoring for patients. If you're at a large center, um, you may want to ask your doctor, Hey, will I be talking to you during this? Will I see you during this? Or is there somebody else who's going to monitor me? Somebody else is going to make decisions who doesn't necessarily know what's going on. Um, so, so, and, 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 but, and, and too often people have to choose between a big center where you see your doctor once and then you see a sonographer and stuff like that. And, and you just feel like a number, which sucks and is not a good experience. Um, the very small boutique place I get very nervous about um, because it is really hard and, and you need multiple really good senior embryologists to have a good egg freezing program. Um, and so, so, uh, but, but I've, I've had trouble, especially with egg freezing, referring colleagues and friends um, in other States, because unless you know the lab really intimately and, and, and you know, their outcomes um, there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of time. It goes by. Yeah. The, the comfort with all of the people was a big factor in my decision because, and I didn't actually realize how important it was going to be until I was like crying on the phone all the time. Mm-hmm. And like the way that they were responding, like when I was trying to like mix my medicine and I screwed it up and I did the thing, you know, and I'm like sobbing and there's somebody on the line that cares. Yeah. That's critical. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's critical. And, 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 um, and to the extent that it feels like a team, in a community, mm-hmm. you know, that's behind you, that that's really helpful. Um, I, I think if you're freezing your eggs with a friend, I, I think that's always great. Um, I keep hassling our team. I, I want to start a shot night and start offering for us oh, to I observe 
And exactly. And if, if we could like Monday through Friday, make a commitment that we're going to be there between five and six. So anybody wants to come in and give themselves shots. And for a lot of women freezing their eggs, like you're not doing it with a partner. You may not have a friend who's done it. And, and so many of my patients would love to know each other. Like, and I can't make those introductions. So, so, so we also do uh, some events sometimes, you know, for our patients, like, like sort of networking events, because, you know, so, so many of our patients are so similar, right. And, and could probably forge really nice relationships. So that's, well, a, that's, that actually was a question someone submitted was say you live alone, you're single. And especially if you have like a history of fainting from shots, like, is there an option that you one just don't have to administer all the shots yourself? Is that um, an option? One, yes. So, so, so there are nurses. So, so some of our patients will hire a nurse, basically nurses to come to their home every night and administer the shots that, that can be expensive. And so that's about a thousand dollars on top of your, you know, what you're already paying to have somebody come to your home. Uh, mm-hmm. But you can do that. Uh, I'm looking for somebody who wants to use one of those insulin pumps where we put the pump on and then we just dose into that. Uh, oh, I, I would have done that for sure. Yeah. Because you made I, it mindless. Totally. I have a colleague who did that and she was a fertility doctor who was afraid of giving herself shots and she put wow. on this little insulin pump and then she just injected the medicine into the insulin pump, which now I've, very interesting. I've offered that to a few patients and, and, and they were like, if sometimes if, if, you're un, if you're uncomfortable with needles, you might not like the idea of an insulin pump being attached mm-hmm. to you, um, mm-hmm. but, but it's needleless. And um, so, so we're going to work on that. We're, we're definitely working on shot night because I think shot night would be really well received. You, you just basically have a bunch of other people also struggling with the menopure and struggling to figure out how these pens work. And, and that'll yeah. feel really good to feel like you're not alone in, in going through this. Um, and you're yeah. not, by the way, if you, if you're giving yourself shots tonight and you're in your room and, and it's not as um, simple as it looked like on the video, just you're, you're not alone. One of my, my nurses also went through it and, and she's done a bajillion trainings and taught people. And when she was finally going through it, she was like, you know what? It's harder than I gave it credit for. Like, Yeah. And, well, and you're also like very stressed and you're like, oh my God, I have to give it to myself at a certain time and I have to mix the medicine. Let's with talk about that. It up. <laughs> Let's talk about time because that can also de-stress people. We tell you to give the medicine a certain time, particularly your evening shots, like your Falastim, Gonal F, yeah. Manipur you don't have to do it at exactly the same time. Say plus or minus two hours. So if you have a dinner scheduled, if you have a party, an event, plus or minus two hours. We want you to get in a, in a rhythm, right? Yeah. And, and so, but but medicines that are dosed every 24 hours, you don't need to do it precisely. The trigger shot is different. The trigger shot, no, that one, you want to do it right, you know, within 15 minutes of when we tell you. Okay, interesting. Um so one thing you were talking about earlier was like follicle count and someone submitted a question saying, is there anything you can do to help change your follicle count? But I kind of wanted to start at the beginning, like walk us through, we come in for our consultation, our first appointment, what happens in that appointment and how do we get our follicle count at the start? So, so the, the, the follicle count is going to be uh, the most important picture to give you sort of a sense of how many mature eggs you can expect to get. Um, and that's the most stressful part of your first visit because because that's where we're going to say, okay, what does your ovarian reserve look like? The, I, I think I'd probably say four times to everybody, this has no relationship to your natural fertility. And that's important to know. So women who have a very low follicle count and women who have a very high follicle count will have exactly the same chance of getting pregnant that month trying naturally. 
when you're trying naturally, even if you only have two follicles, your body's going to produce one egg. Right. If you have 20 follicles, your body's going to produce one egg. And the quality of those eggs is totally tied to your age, not to anything else. So, so just one, um, that's the, you know, but, but it's very helpful in helping us predict what protocol to use and inside. And, and I should say, so what is a follicle inside each follicle is an immature egg and the follicle has receptors on it for a hormone called follicle stimulating hormone or FSH. And that's the hormone that you're giving yourself shots of. And so, so the question, correct. And it doesn't stimulate more eggs, right? It stimulates the eggs that are there to grow. So if we start with 12 follicles, most of them will grow, but some might be already dying off. So, and that's the other thing about your follicles. It's interesting. So if today's Monday and we do a follicle count, we see 12 follicles, we can come back on Friday. We'll usually see around 12 follicles, but they're different follicles. So the follicles that are there on Monday, if they don't get that signal, they all die off and new ones emerge. So the follicles on your ovaries are constantly turning over oh, and emerging, constantly turning over and emerging. That's why when we stimulate those follicles to grow, it's not like we've used up all your eggs. The eggs, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Every month, a woman goes through about 500 to 1,000 eggs. Oh, wow. And, 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 and those eggs take about six or seven months to get from what's called a primordial oocyte, so a very, very immature egg. It takes about six or seven months before they develop enough to become a follicle. And the egg doesn't become a follicle, but it, becomes, it develops cells around it. And, and maybe only one out of three of those eggs that start developing make it to the follicle stage. Once it's there, it can get that signal from that hormone. If it gets that signal within about three days, it will grow. If it doesn't, it disappears. And so they're constantly turning over. But, um, and so sometimes people are told they have fewer follicles than we expect, and therefore they're going to get fewer mature eggs per attempt. And then, and then your listener asked the question, well, what can I do to increase that? Um, there's not a whole lot is the answer. Um, about half of women who are on long-term birth control pills will have an improvement in their follicle count if they stop the birth control pills. Oh, I, so that's interesting. There was another thing someone submitted was, yeah, does birth control affect this at all? And, and the answer is, is maybe. There's <laughs> yeah. one study sh showing that, that half of women will have some beneficial response. And it may not be a huge response, but some benefit to going off it. There was a, a study presented at ASRM, our big conference last week, showing no association. And that was using a, a pretty big data set. But, but, but I think for some women, if you go off birth control pills, after three to four months, you'll see a, mark, a, a change and an increase. The, the one thing that you have to be very aware of is that thing that I told you. If, you, if you're going off birth control pills because somebody told you you had a low follicle count, use condoms or get an IUD. <laughs> right? I, I, I'm very loath to take somebody off of birth control pills because you've got a very effective form of contraception. Mm -hmm. And like I said, low follicle count, you are still a healthy, fertile young woman. <laughs> and, 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 and that kills me because like egg freezing really, it, yeah. it's about, it's about like being able to plan a pregnancy and have a baby when you want, mm -hmm. but not be forced to either struggle later on or, 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 or not to accidentally have a baby right now. Cause, cause zero of my patients who are looking to freeze their eggs want a baby right now. And, and so, um, or, or almost none, right? And um, and I've seen like second opinions, right? Where someone is told they have a very low follicle count and they come in and they're distraught because of the way it was framed and they thought, well, I'll never get pregnant. And, and, and I can't tell you how often I hear that. 
Um, and then they stop birth control because I, I have a low AMH, I have a low follicle count, my eggs are dying. And then they're pregnant when they come for the consult. Mm. So, so, so please, please, if you are going off of birth control pills with a hope of improving your follicle count, please use another effective form of contraception. Yeah, just reiterate the is, follicle count doesn't doesn't equal your fertility level. Doesn't yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And an effective contraception is not like pull and pray, right? Like yeah. it's like it's um, yeah. Does is the same thing true for an IUD or IUDs do it... not affect this? So so okay. people leave their IUD and IUDs because they're not suppressing ovulation. Uh, IUDs do not affect your ovarian reserve or your follicle count, and yeah, you don't need to a... remove an IUD to freeze your eggs either. So I have an IUD and I, and actually one of the reasons why I selected the clinic I went to is because they weren't going to make me take it out. And some others were. Anybody who's having somebody remove their IUD to freeze their eggs has no idea what they're doing. I, that was my, I mean, that, that, that was that, my that, that, thought that, as well. But like, 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 like that, that one I'll be really strong on. If someone's saying you need to remove your IUD before you freeze your eggs, they need to get their, their head examined. Like there's just no impact of that. One of the nice things, if you don't have an IUD and if you're um, been thinking about it and you're getting your eggs and you're freezing your eggs, you're under anesthesia. And so sometimes what we'll do is is place an IUD after the egg retrieval. It's a pretty nice opportunity to be under anesthesia and have an IUD placed rather than, you know, in, in, in the office without anesthesia. Now that you're saying that, I'm annoyed that it that didn't occur to me because I have to get mine replaced soon. (laughs) Yeah. If if you're close to getting replaced... Sure. And you know, seven years, right? Yeah. 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 Add it on my tab. Damn it. Put it in there. (laughs) Because that is not a pleasant experience. Uh. No, no. It's much better under anesthesia. Um, Oh, damn. Uh, Oh, that's the other thing that people are surprised about. And I'm sure you could probably speak to this. Is is the anesthesia is probably the best part of facing your eggs. Most people find. I don't know if you found that. Well, someone asked, do you have to do anesthesia to freeze your eggs? You do not. Um, I think you'd be probably robbing yourself of the, like I said, the best part. Um, but, uh, the anesthesia we use is called propofol. It functions very quickly and, um, it's fast on, fast off. You, you're not intubated. You're not paralyzed. Um, and most of our patients wake up and think they had the best nap ever. Yeah. I had a good experience. I'm curious. What is like the amount of time the actual retrieval process takes? Yeah. So, so if it's, if it's short, in other words, if you don't have many eggs, it might be as short as five minutes. Um, if well, you have a lot of eggs, that's 20 minutes. Um, still fast. 20, still very fast. Minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's something else people somebody to ask you, are there incisions? How do you access the eggs? Uh, there's no incisions. This is, this is, it's really a procedure. It's not a surgery. So mm-hmm. there's an, uh, you're, you're asleep and a needle uh, punctures about two to three millimeters of tissue through the posterior, the back of the vagina. And, and, and that's right where your ovary is. And then it just goes right into the follicles in the ovary. Um, so up at the top, you had mentioned access and how, you know, this is an expensive procedure and some companies are starting to cover it with insurance. Although I feel like a lot of those companies are also covering it so that you'll just keep working, but that's a different conversation. Um, but, you know, it is really expensive and, it, you know, a lot of people don't have financial access to this. Do you have suggestions of, you know, are there payment plans or what What would you suggest that, that somebody does if they want to look into this and are worried about that? Yeah. So, so employers who cover it, I, I, I love, right? Even though, you know, they're going to work you no matter what, 
right? And so at least if they're working really hard and it's delaying childbearing because you're not able, you know, to start a family. And so, so I usually applaud. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for those employers. Um, we offer a payment plan at spring. We, we're a little different. We're, we're younger and, and we like to sort of go the opposite direction. Um, many centers will refer you out to a financial party that will offer uh, financing. We are not a bank and we're not good at doing this, but we offer everybody one cycle with no interest and like a 40 month payment plan. And so that brings the cost down to less than $250 a month. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we did that because somebody came to us like a, a lender and they were explaining it and, and they were telling me like, and this is when interest rates were like 0% and they were charging yeah. really great credit candidates, 12%. And, and, and they were like laughing about it. Like, and then we repackage the loan and sell it to somebody for 8%. And it's like, you're so like, it, it just didn't feel right. Um, and they tend to um, charge an awful lot. Yeah, so, a friend uh, of mine that is one of your patients actually was talking to me about it because, and she also currently is not on health insurance. So I was asking her like, what was the full out-of-pocket cost? And she said the exact thing of the payment plan. And she saved up the money. Like she was like, I have the cash. But then the options of the payment plan were so great and not such an extra like burden every month that she was like, I'd like to kind of keep my little safety net cash and just pay the monthly fee. And I was very surprised to hear that. So it's, it's great to hear. Our, our, our payment plan is, is awesome, especially now that interest rates are what they are. Like it, yeah. it, it, it's literally the, the price that you would pay up front and we just allow people to spread it over, over, I guess, 40 months. Um, so because people though, still have you... to pay for the meds, right? And, and the right, meds are going right. to cost you somewhere between three and five thousand um, dollars, or or six thousand dollars. And that's the other thing, like that. You know, if a fertility center just gives you a bunch of pharmacies to go to, usually you're paying a very high price, and no pharmacy is going to negotiate with you for the price. So, so, so one of the things that we've tried to do for patients is say, okay, we're going to send all of our patients who are self-pay to one of these two pharmacies. And they've guaranteed us basically 25% off for anybody coming in. Um, and so, so that can make a big difference because that can save you about $1,500. Um, yeah. But, and, and, and you can't do that as an individual. So hopefully the, the clinic has done that for you. And, and, you're, and you can go wherever you want. It's just, we're, we, we have bargaining power, right? With the, yeah, yeah, you've with scaled. the pharmacy. Yeah. And mm-hmm, so, yeah. So, so we do try to do that. So, um, you know, our philosophy is, is one, you know, we want people to be able to afford this. We want them to be able to afford it when they're younger and, and not everybody has $14,000 saved away. Um, and so if you can allow people to pay that, you know, in $240 a month over three years, that's much better. Um, and, and it will help more people access it. Um, same thing with the meds. Um, you know, it's hard because sometimes you get an estimate on the meds and it's like three to $6,000 or three to $7,000. And that's a big gap. Um, we, because we have a sense of, again, how many patients, what your starting dose is, we can typically give you a package price. And we know at the end of the year, if we have a hundred patients, we're going to end up breaking even. Um, if some patient, we might lose a thousand dollars. Some patients may overpay a thousand dollars. But at the end of the day, it's telling people exactly what it's going to cost to do it. And I think people really appreciate having some certainty around that. Um, and I think that's where the field has to go, 
where we have like package rates where we allow people to finance this and pay over time. Um, but most of us, like as clinics, like that was really hard. Our payment plan, like implementing that is is not easy um, because we're not a lender. So, so oftentimes right. it is easier to go to a bank, um, but they just end up charging like credit card rates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one question I wanted to ask is, let's say we have somebody who is trying to conceive naturally. They asked, you know, how long should you be trying to conceive naturally before you start looking into IVF or other types of fertility treatments to help? I think most couples will conceive in the first six months. Um, when you're over 35, because the effect of age is so significant, we've always said six months. When you're under 35, we usually said 12 months. But it, in 2023, where we can go on Uber Eats or, or DoorDash and get whatever we want or stream videos whenever we want, nobody really wants to wait 12 months when they're trying and not being successful. So I, I do encourage people, if you're trying to really give it six months because reproduction is inefficient, like human reproduction is inefficient. And so um, you want to give you and your partner your best chance um, to do this outside of our office. Um, and then sometime between six, nine, 12 months, depending on how stressed you feel um, and how averse you are to, to these interventions, it sounds reasonable. And I have one last one. Let's say you decide okay. you want to do IVF or egg freezing. The answer might be different for these. Uh, how far in advance should you start to kind of book this appointment once you decide, hey, I really want to do this? I think it depends on the center. It also depends on whether you have some form of insurance paying for it. Some make it harder than others. Um, typically, you know, women who come in and their self-pay and freezing their eggs, um, that can start at spring within a month of, of your visit. Um, but you might find out, well, my follicle counts a little lower and I'm on birth control pills. Maybe I do want to try stopping birth control pills. Vitamin D is the other thing that's been associated. So women who have a low vitamin D, sometimes replacing their vitamin D, um, can improve your follicle count in ovarian reserve. I should have mentioned that earlier. Oh, that's um, good to know. But, but I think within three months of, of wanting to start is a reasonable time. If you're interested in doing IVF, um, then we'll want to do expanded genetic carrier screening on you and your partner. Um, but you, at least for us, we try to be responsive to our patients' needs. Some patients come in and I, I've had patients start three days after their initial visit. Um, others, you know, I don't want anybody to feel rushed going in and, and some people say, I just want to learn. And, you know, and again, if, if, you're, if you're going to the fertility clinic and you're 30 years young and and you're getting information, you should not feel like you have to rush into it. I think two months have never made a difference for anyone. Um, and, and frankly, at 32 years is likely not going to make a difference. So you have that flexibility. You should really do this when it comes to egg freezing. I really think you do it when it fits into your life. Don't try to bend your life around this. If you have a busy time at work, a busy social calendar, really try to make this fit into your goals and, and your plans. I think then you'll have a better experience and outcome. I love that advice. Yeah. I feel like you guys are comedians and funny and, 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 and oh, I no, no, no. It's I okay. Added to that. No, no, no. We, this podcast is a wide range. We have funny, fun episodes and we have serious, more educational ones. So 
Our listeners cool. actually really do love the educational ones like this. They flooded in with questions. Yes. So we're very okay. happy to have you. Great. Um, totally. Uh, and, and I'm flattered that you think I'm a comedian. <laughs> okay. No, I, I... no I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But um, it was, this was wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Great. And your Spring Fertility Clinic uh, has several locations. And you guys were kind enough to give us a promo code for anybody listening uh, that they can get $150 off a full consult in any of the locations. And you're in New York, in New York City. And then in California, you have a few different cities, San Francisco, Oakland, Silicon Valley, Soma, if I'm saying that right, uh, Redwood City, and Danville. So you can use our promo code FMH if you want to book a consult, get checked out at Spring Fertility. Thank you so much for giving that to us to share with the listeners. Yeah. And uh, anything else you want to add? Because this was, this was great. We really appreciate you coming on. Truly. No, I, thanks for having me. Um, and I, lo- I love the opportunity to do this. I, I think this is totally an amazing opportunity that we're here. And, and that 15 years ago, I told somebody, no, you, I wouldn't freeze my eggs. And, um, and today we're able to help people both preserve their fertility, keep their options open, and, and, and ultimately also have healthier babies one at a time. And, uh, and just, it's been so much fun and so rewarding being a part of this field as it's really developed. And, and, um, and I think it's also created a much more empowering experience for people. Mm. So if you've been like putting off going into the fertility clinic, you should leave feeling better than when you came. And, and you should not be afraid to learn more because it really should be, it, it's all about options and creating options for yourself and, and learning and, and, and being proactive. And so, uh, so it's been, for me, it, I love having conversations with people like you guys and, and your community and sharing information because I think it really is, uh, we're, we're very fortunate to be living in this time as long as the robots don't take over. Yeah. <laughs> well, what you said is what all my friends have gone through the process of both egg freezing or embryo or IVF, just feeling like I was just relieved. Like when I went and I did it, I decided to do it. I felt such relief. And especially, you know, single friends like myself just felt like I bought myself time. Like I felt all this pressure with the fertility and is it declining and if and when. And they were like, the fact that I did it, I just felt relieved after. So hopefully anybody going through that also gets that feeling. Yeah, that's that's my hope. And 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 and, and make sure you get your questions answered. Yes. Get yes, those absolutely. data stats. Yeah. I mean no, I mean like, if right you're here. seeing a provider and if it, if it's not me, if it's if it's another provider, just make sure you feel comfortable with all the answers you're getting and that you're you're being listened to and that you're you feel like you're making informed decisions. Yes. So absolutely. thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. On that note. We'll talk to everybody next week. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.